I'm excited about that. But today I'm excited to wrap up our Dangerous Prayers series. If you have a Bible, you can go to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah 6 is where we're going to spend some time today. Um, As you're turning there, I wanted to tell you a story. Back in 1997, 23 years ago, it feels so long, a couple things converged in my life. I, first of all, I watched a film called The Power of One. This, this movie told the story of a boy who was growing up in post-World War II South Africa, and he was exploring his own relationship as a white boy to the Africans around him. It was a movie that, for whatever reason, left this just incredible impression on me. It's an incredible film. And, and at the same time, I had a good friend from a Christian camp that I used to go to who had traveled to India on a mission trip, and we stayed in touch after she came home writing letters, and I loved hearing her stories about the experience. So those two things converged when I started researching short-term mission trips for high school students. I received a brochure, and as I began looking through it, I saw that one of the options for the trips was this organization's first trip ever to South Africa, right? That, and it was just this, this strange convergence. So I went to mom and dad, and I said, I think I'd like to go on a mission trip overseas. Now, let me tell you something. Before I go on with this story, when I asked them, I assumed they would say yes, right? Like, I was 16. This was no big deal. It was like saying, hey, can I have the car to go to the movies? That's, that's where my mind was. So for me to ask them to let me go halfway around the world did not feel like a big deal to me at all. And today, Malia is going to turn 16 in a few months. And as I thought about this week, this week, I couldn't believe that my parents actually said yes. Like, I'm sorry for the stress, Mom. <laughs> like, I just want to name that. So the summer after my junior year of high school, I flew for the very first time by myself. My first flight was from Pittsburgh to Dallas. My second flight was from Dallas to Johannesburg, South Africa. I'm not kidding. That was the, the second flight I took. And you know how much I like to travel. That's where that came from, I think. We traveled all over the country of South Africa. We learned this 10-minute drama thing, then we would perform it in random places. Like, we did it in schools filled with uh, Zulu children, the tribal children of the country, and we did it on street corners, we did it on the beach, and we even did it in this little village right in the middle of the city where this, it was kind of this shanty town poverty place where when we were done, 300 people, including, I'm not kidding, a legitimate witch doctor decked out in animal skins, gave their life to Christ. Absolutely amazing. More than anything else, though, on that trip, I remember two people that I met. I remember a child, and his, he was an Indian child. His name was Aftab. An Indian invited me after he watched our drama. He invited me into his home, and his family showered me with kindness and food that they really shouldn't have been giving away because they didn't have enough. And they welcomed us into this house. I also remember a man, and this was just, just God converging things, right? But this, was, this man's name was Moses. If you meet a man randomly in another country named Moses, pay attention, right? He was this beautiful Zulu man who took me aside after watching our drama about Jesus being killed and rising from the dead. And I remember him speaking fast in his own language and me signaling for a translator who we had found that day and his name was Blessing. Not kidding. And saying, what is he saying? And the translator said, this is Moses. His wife and children have passed away. And he would like to know why that happened if you say God loves us. I'm 17 years old. And he's probably 55. And I remember having absolutely no answers, none. I still have no answers. But you know what I do remember? I remember the last day of our three weeks in South Africa, right before we left to fly back home. And I remember writing in my journal something to the effect that I was so thankful God had let me make that trip to South Africa, but I could not wait to get home and spend my senior year of high school as a missionary in my school. That's what I remember writing. And those, see, those things 
those kind of random things, that film that I watched and my friend's own experience in India gave me the courage to pray this last dangerous prayer that I want to show you today. And my time in South Africa gave me the courage to pray that same dangerous prayer as I headed back home. And all those things have built something in me that I keep praying this prayer, even at times when I really, truly don't want to. So we're going to close this series today with this last dangerous prayer. And I, and I have to tell you, it's my favorite. It may be the most dangerous. And it's dangerous because it's a prayer of availability. It's a prayer that puts us out there in terms of our relationship with God. See, through this whole series, we've been talking about how our prayers are too safe. And here's the thing. Most of the time, our prayers, if your prayers are like mine, our prayers are requests, right? Like most of the time, our prayers are really about what we would like for God to do for things that directly impact us or those things that impact those we love. So we pray these types of prayers. God, would you do this for me? God, would you heal my grandma? God, would you help me find a job? God, would you get me through this test? And you know what? Those are great prayers. Those are necessary prayers. Those are welcome prayers. God tells us in the scripture to come boldly before his throne of grace with our requests. That's what we're told. They're important prayers, but they put us in a place where we ask God to work. But a dangerous way to pray is less about asking God to do for us and more about asking this question, God, what can I do for you? It's a shift. It's a flip. See, when we start praying this dangerous prayer that I'm about to show you, it reverses things. It, it, it shakes things loose in our relationship with God from seeing him at times as a vending machine to seeing him as a sending machine. I worked on that this week. And that's what this last dangerous prayer is. It's two simple words. Are you ready? Here's the prayer. Send me. Send me. It's the most dangerous prayer you'll pray that we've talked about. Now, let me tell you why this is so dangerous to us. This is dangerous because it makes us available. Right? It puts us out there. And when you make yourself available, something may be required of you. When Malia was little, she was playing this, this soccer league around here locally. And we, we were at the field. And the, little, the littler girls were running around. And one of them fell and scratched. And they were crying. And, and this other parent sitting beside us. And I, we were new to soccer world. So we didn't have the five-star chair yet. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, grandparents, you get the real five-star chairs. But we, like, parents even have five. There's class levels of chairs. And so we had, like, the simple chair. And, we're sitting, and this parent is lounging in the five-star chair. And my daughter's bleeding. And she looks, and she's like, oh, I have Band-Aids in my car. Do you want me to go get one? And Carrie looked at her, and she was like, yeah, that, was, that would be great. And, and just the flash that came over this parent's eyes was like, no, I wasn't really serious. Like, I don't really want to help you right now. <laughs> Have you ever had that experience, right? You ever ask anyone if they needed help just to be nice, and they take you up on it, and you're like, dang it, right? Like, I was just being polite. I wanted you to see my politeness, not my sacrifice, <laughs> right? That's what I think we do oftentimes when we pray this prayer half-heartedly. Send me, God, but not there, right? Send me, but not over there. Not, don't make me do these things. So when you start praying this prayer, God, send me, you open yourself to the dangers of it. Because, listen, church, God may answer it. And he may do some things in your life. He may call you to move somewhere else. He may call you to stay exactly where you are when you want to move. He may ask you to break up with someone. He may ask you to give financially. He may tell you, like Dalton said last week, and didn't Dalton do an incredible job. He may tell you it's time to get uncomfortable. See, being available to God is dangerous. Dalton 
talk to us about God speaking to us, asking God to speak to us. This is the second part. This is the extension because we say, God, don't just speak to me. God, send me. Send me. Now, before we talk about how we do this, because I want to tell you exactly how we do this, let me tell you three possible responses to this question when God says, okay, I'm going to send you. I would say that my time in South Africa was my calling to ministry. It was the season of my life where God spoke to me and I responded. And I want to be clear, calling isn't just for pastors who are trained. Calling is for ordinary, remember, unschooled, idiotes, a few weeks ago we talked about that, who spend time with Jesus. It's for all of us. And when God calls, you have options. When God says, I'm going to send you, you have options and you have possible responses. Let me show you what they are. Here's the first response. Here I am. I'm not going. That's our first response. God, here I am. I'm not going. Remember Jonah, right? Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. He ran away from the Lord. Here I am. I'm not going. How many of you have been there? God makes really clear what should happen in your life, what decision you're supposed to make, what direction you're supposed to move in what you should do, how you should respond, someone you should talk to, and you just flat out refuse. I was, I was back up in Pittsburgh uh, a couple years ago, and I went to visit the church that we spent five years working in, and this is a massive church. And when I left that church, there was one elder there that just got under my skin, right? I, this is my sinfulness. This is just me confessing to you. I hope he's not watching today, right? I doubt he is. But he, he, he had personal issues with me. I I felt like they were personal issues. I don't think they were. But I had personal issues with him, and I know they were that, right? Like, that was was the reality. And so there were just several things that happened. I'm not going to go into all of it now, but I remember driving up to Pittsburgh, and part of my trip to Pittsburgh that day, I was going to meet the pastor of that church and talk. And as I was driving, this guy's name, this guy's name was Joe, just came into my head. And the entire drive I'm thinking about, I always process my time at that church and what it was like, and I just, oh, that Joe. Mm." Like, what... And I wish I could talk to him. I wish I could sit down. Like, we should have a conversation. And not even because I was angry at that point, but it just felt like things needed. This is not what the church should be. We need to have a hard conversation. And da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. And I'm going, I'm going, going. And so on the way there, because it's Pittsburgh, I stopped at Chipotle. Can I get an amen? So I pull into Chipotle. I kid you not, Joe's walking out of the building as I pull in. Yeah. You know what I did? Here I am. I am not going. <laughs> I didn't talk to him. I didn't go shake his hand. I didn't go say, I just stayed in my car till he got it in his and drove away. And I look back in that and I go, I just chose not to do what God put right in front of me. We've been there. We do that. Right? Here I am. I'm not going. Here's the second response when God has something for us to send us to. Here it is. Here I am. Send someone else. Here I am, send someone else. We see this in Exodus 3. God comes to Moses, and he says, verse 10, So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I? Right? You read the rest of the chapter. He's like, God, I, I've got, I, I don't speak well. I've got this thing. And, maybe, and then he finally goes, God, please send someone else. Please send someone else. Moses says, there's got to be someone better. They can do it. They should give the money. I don't have enough. They should go to Ethiopia. I'm too busy, too scared. 
They should do the house church thing. They should serve in kids' town. They should start to enter into the youth ministry and build relationships. I'm just not ready. Here I am. Send someone else. And then there's this third response, which is the prayer that we want to learn today. Here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me. Isaiah 6, we're going to look at this chapter, but I want you to see verse 8 where this, where this story ends because here's what it says in verse 8. Isaiah says this, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? It's like he's scanning the room. And Isaiah said, he said, and I said, Here am I, send me. Not here am I, I'm not going. Not here am I, send someone else. Here am I, send me. So God comes to Isaiah, and we're going to look at how he calls him, how, what we learn from that. And he says, whom shall I send? Who will go? God's asking the question. And notice what Isaiah didn't say. He didn't say, where are you sending me? He didn't say, what are the details of this? He didn't say, what is the pay range? Are there benefits? How is the climate at the end of January, beginning of February? What does that look like? Anybody sitting here today like, here I am, send me to Florida, right? Like, what's the cost of living? How much vacation time? Will I be single or will I have that spouse? Will I have good friends? Or what do I have to give up? Isaiah didn't ask any of that. He simply exclaims, here I am, send me. So today I'm challenging you to pray this prayer every single day, at least for this week. That's the application. At least for this week, just wake up every single day. Here I am, God, send me. See, I believe this can be more than just one sermon in a series. I think this can be a foundational message that can shape much of your spiritual faith. Like, I believe this could be one of those messages you come back to again and again and again and go, this one mattered, and, and I want to see you. I want to see us as a church pray this prayer faithfully. God, send me. God, send us. Interrupt us. Disturb us. And I want us to listen to what God says. He may call us to speak out. He may call you to stay silent. He may call you to become completely available to him, to give something away, to call someone on the phone, to write a letter to someone. And let me promise you something here. If you pray this prayer, listen, if you pray this prayer authentically and regularly, I guarantee you God will answer you. This is one of those prayers that I promise you God will answer. I, see, I, I hear people all the time say, why isn't God answering my prayers? Why doesn't God answer my, why doesn't he answer me? Well, listen, if you pray this one and if you mean it, just watch it happen. Seriously, are you ready for this? Are you dangerous enough to say, God, send me? See, I want to look with you today at the how. How do we really pray this? How do we really surrender? Because that's what this is. This is a prayer of surrender. How do we really do that? How do we get there? How do we look at our lives and open our hands and our hearts and say, God, do whatever you want with me. Send me. And today I'm going to tell you how. Look at the moment that led to Isaiah's send me prayer. Isaiah 6 verse 1. Here's what it says. In the year that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah writing, he says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. See, here's the first thing that has to happen for you to be courageous enough to pray this prayer of send me. You have to have this. You have to have an authentic experience of God's presence. If you're to really pray this prayer, you got to have some kind of authentic experience of God's presence. 
Listen, I'm going to be really honest with you. I think the majority, I think the vast majority of Christ followers that I know are not brave enough to pray this prayer simply because they haven't had an authentic experience of Christ's presence. Isaiah has this incredible moment. Imagine what's going on here, right? Like he sees the Lord. He sees the angels surrounding the Lord. He sees the smoke filling the temple. And he hears this choir just, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. They're on their faces just going, God, you're good, you're good, you're good. Now imagine if Isaiah walked out going, hey, good sermon, Yahweh. I'll shake my hand, right? I'll even post a quote or two, Yahweh, right on Twitter. You gave such a good message. I'll put it on social media. I'll share your video. Are you kidding me? Right? See, and yet that's what we do. Well, most of you, I don't say good sermon. That's okay. But, but we do our church thing, right? Don't we? Like we do our Christian thing. We have this intellectual belief. We do all this, but we don't have an authentic and a real experience with God that puts us in a place of going, God, you're so good. I got to get on my knees. About three or four weeks ago, man, when we were singing Waymaker, there was something in this room, the Holy Spirit, that somebody said, I got to go and bow before the Savior of the universe that took over. Friends, we have the opportunity to have that experience every time we gather. We have that experience every time you wake up in the morning. But what do we do? So why is it that you may not be fully available to God? Because you're not experiencing him to the depths of who he is. You may not be willing to let him send you because you haven't recently experienced him. Even as I wrote these words this week about my time in Africa, I found myself craving that feast of God's Holy Spirit that I had there. Right, That time where like every morning I was journaling because I felt like God was talking faster than I could hear him. All that. I miss that. But listen, it's not always glamorous to experience God. It's every day. It's every day hard, committed, discipline. Does everybody say discipline? Because you're a disciple. Right? Every day. See, I started this year. Prayer is so difficult for me. I started this year praying every morning with my journal, something called the examine. And the examine is this monastic practice that's just centuries old. And what it is, it starts with silence. And it's all about listening. And I want to just show you really quickly the parts of the examine. Because this is, what I, this is how my prayer life has started to grow. But it's about letting God show up. It's about giving God space. You say, I don't have time to do that every day. Bull. Check your phone usage. I guarantee you, you have time. See, the examine is this thing that walks us through this process of reflection and silence and meditation and going, God, what do you want to say to me today? Here's what it looks like really quickly. This is, this is side sermon. You get a side sermon for free today, okay? The examine starts with awareness. So in my journal, I sit and I go, God, thank you that you are present with me. Help me be aware of your spirit in this place. And I might reflect on that, but that's where I start. Then it goes into gratitude. And you start to examine the past 24 hours of your life. If you're doing it at the end of the day, you look back at the whole day. If you're doing it in the morning, you look back at the yesterday, and you start to examine, what can I express gratitude for? What can I be grateful for? And some days, man, I'm writing, God, I'm just thankful that yesterday's over, right? Sometimes I'm, I'm just, man, it was so good, and, and it, it 
starts to tune you in to paying attention to those things. And then we look at something that the, the Ignatian prayer uh, leaders would have called, and you got to get these words, they're big, ready, desolations and consolations. I'm going to explain what that is. Consolation is where were you comforted? Where were you consoled? Where did your emotions of joy, gratitude, love, life, compassion, mercy, all those things, where did they come to life in you? As you reflect on your day, take notice of those things. God, I noticed that when I was with these people, I had a genuine love for them, and I'm grateful for that. Thank you for putting that in me, and that's drawing me towards you. And then you have desolation, and the desolation is where we get in touch with the difficult emotions. Where did I feel anxiety? Where did I feel shame? Where did I feel fear? Where did I feel anger? Where did I feel like I was barely holding it together? Because what the examine does is says, spend that time dealing with what's inside of you. If you don't deal with what's inside of you, you can't make space for God to fill that up. So we go through those things. And then there's a time of petition, right? And petition is our requests. We bring those needs to God. We bring those things to God. We, we, we enter his throne room and say, God, help this. Be with this. Surround this person. Walk with me. All those things. And then the examine ends with something called the resolution, and the resolution is exactly what I teach in our huddles, our discipleship relationships here. It's God, what is God saying to me, and what am I going to do about it? What is God saying to me, and what am I going to do about it? See, friends, listen, sometimes we have the mountaintop experiences like Waymaker playing a few weeks ago. And more often, we have 7 a.m. prayer meetings with Jesus that are hard to get into because we're busy, we're tired, we're distracted. But it's in the 7 a.m. meetings, the 6 a.m. meetings, the 5 a.m. meetings, the midnight meetings, when you're walking through some, this is one process, it's not the only process. That's where we show up and we authentically encounter God's presence. The scripture says, God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. It's a promise, right? Here's the second thing that we need. Look at verse five of Isaiah 6. Isaiah has this incredible encounter of God's, God's presence. Here's what he says. Woe to me. Can you imagine that? I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. See, in the Israelites' mind, if you saw God, you couldn't live unless he gave you the grace to live. Moses wants to see God. God says, you can't handle my presence. I will pass by you, and you can see the backside of me. Isaiah sees God and he says, I am undone. I'm ruined because I have so much uncleanness in my life. You know what happens when you authentically encounter something holy? You realize automatically how unholy you are. You want to have the courage to pray this prayer? Here's the second thing you need, an authentic awareness of your own sinfulness. We need to understand the depths of our sin. Listen, you know I think this, but one of the biggest lies we hear today is how good we are. Oh, you're, there's such good people. He's a good person. She's a good person. We have this amazing staff person at the middle school. I love her to death. And every kid I ask her about, because I don't know these kids. I, tell me about this kid. Every kid I ask her about, oh, they're such a good kid. They're amazing. They, they have this, da, 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 da. And I get it. I get what she's doing. She's speaking positively and setting a great tone. But the reality is she's lying. Because I meet these kids and they're not good. They're not, and friends, neither are we. Listen, without Christ, don't, don't miss this. Without Christ, you are wicked, evil, sinful, broken, hopeless people. You are not good. I am not good. And on your own, you have never been good. And if you're going to be courageous enough to ask God to send you, you better be courageous enough to ask God to humble you. When Isaiah saw the goodness of God, 
he instantly saw the badness of himself. That was his first reaction. This sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? Like, it sounds like it doesn't make sense. If we were to ask God to send us, you'd think we felt like we were good enough to be sent. Kind of like a job application. I checked my credentials. God, I've been doing some work. I did that examine thing like 10 times last year. So I'm ready. Send me. Like, it feels like we ought to be there. But that's not how God's kingdom works. His kingdom is upside down. Isaiah shouts, woe to me, I'm ruined. He realizes his brokenness. He has an authentic awareness of his own sinfulness. He recognizes his evil, the state of his life. And some of you need to do the same thing. Do you know why you can sit here and and week after week consume, eat, devour the sermons, listen to the songs, and walk out and not do anything beyond Sundays? Because you haven't recognized the power of grace that rescues broken, ugly, evil lives. You haven't recognized the nature of sin that lives within you, the core of who you are, because when you get that, everything changes. And you end up exactly where Isaiah found himself. Look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim, one of the angels, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth. And he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And this is the last thing that we need to have the courage to pray this prayer of send me, we need an authentic encounter with God's grace. We need to encounter God's grace. See, what a moment. Isaiah comes clean. Woe to me, I'm ruined. And then in that moment, he was laid bare. And friends, we need laid bare too. All our lies out there in the open, all our manipulative judgmental attitudes, all our self-centered thoughts, all the, the addictive habits that you have, the things that you take in when no one's around, all the hate that you harbor, all the toxicity that you've spread, all the things about you and all the secret sins. And in this moment, God takes the coal, he cleans him, and he's forgiven. We need this encounter with God's grace because we get, when we get that, we suddenly have the courage to look at the face of God and see and experience what Isaiah did next. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. I've had this encounter with your presence. I've realized my own sinfulness and I've recognized and experienced your grace. Send me. An encounter with God's presence, honesty about your sinfulness, a genuine understanding of God's grace. And then you can say that, here am I, send me. Friends, please understand this last prayer is not a prayer of guilt. Oh, man, God got me. (laughs) Okay, God, send me wherever you want. That's not what this is. It's not God forgave me, so I have to do something for him. Not at all. Friends, this is a prayer of adventure. I would say this is a get to, not a got to. You know what that means? We don't got to do this. We get to do this. This is epic mission. We, we had an incredibly tragic loss at the middle school this week, but you know what I did? And I saw others doing this. I, I prayed this prayer, God, send me. I'm broken. I don't deserve this, but use me for whatever you want. Come on, God, whatever you have. Take the blinders off. Help me be aware. And I'm telling you, all week, I found myself getting interrupted, getting stopped. I saw opportunities that I hadn't seen. Presley spent the day with me on her off day, and she's sitting there. She's like, Daddy, I had no idea that you met with this many people. And I said, I had no idea till today. This is the first time it's happened. It was like a train station. And I loved it. Because we got to speak life, we got to speak hope, we got to speak resurrection in the face of death. And friends, this prayer is not a one-time decision. You know, God send me and get on with the rest of your life. It's every single day. Every single day. So how do we do this? Really practical. First, set time every day. 
Make it a regular habit to be in the word of God and to seek the face of God. Whatever that looks like for you, buy a journal. You don't comfortable talking to God, buy a journal. Whatever it needs, take, you don't connect with God sitting in your living room because you fall asleep. Good, go outside and walk. Your wife will be happy. You need to walk the dog anyway. Set time every day, whatever it is. And then I would say this, feed, and listen, you gotta get this, feed your availability to Jesus. See, feed that. See, I want you to understand, what you feed grows. What you starve dies. When you feed the sinful things in your life, the the distractible parts of your life, that's gonna grow. But when you starve those things and you start to feed the spirit, you start to feed the things of God, those things will start to grow. It's gonna be hard. I promise you, you're gonna sit down, you're gonna go, okay, I'm ready. Like, it's Monday, here I am, send me, God. You're gonna pray for like two minutes and you're gonna go, I got all this stuff to do today and you're distracted. That's because you've starved that part of your life for a long time and you gotta start feeding it. You gotta start feeding it. That's what that's about. What you feed grows, what you starve, starve dies. Here's the last thing. Take risks in hearing Jesus send you, right? Take risks. I, I, I don't know that we've ever really talked about this, but I want you to grab onto this. This is a theological statement I would hang a lot of our church on. I believe God still wants to speak into your life. I believe that you are if you are following Jesus, if you've said yes to Jesus, you've crossed the line of faith, you've invited him into your heart, wherever you are, I believe God wants to speak to you. And I mean that in the sense of your mind going, that sounds weird. Yes, that's the way I mean it. I think God wants to speak into your life. I've never heard God audibly, but I have known God in my heart. I've known God in my head. And I believe God wants to speak into your life too. And I believe you are called when you say, God, speak to me, as Dalton led us last week. God, send me to start to hear God. You are to start to hear God. Here's what that means. Because none of us are real confident about this, you're going to have to take some risks. You're going to have to take some risks there's a story of a guy who came to a pastor after, after a sermon, and the guy runs up, and he's like, Pastor, that was a great message. He's like, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And the pastor's looking at him, what do you mean? He said, the answer is yes. I just need to know what the question is. I'll do whatever, right? Like, my life's been turned around. I'm all in. And I think we need that. I believe this week, I've prayed this for you, that if you have the courage to start to pray this prayer, that you might get messed up enough, disturbed enough, interrupted enough on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday, wherever, that you go, I think God's speaking to me. Dang it. And I want you to be risky enough to take a step, to say yes to that. Set time every day. Starve the things that need to die feed the things that need to grow, and take risks in hearing Jesus. Here's the last thing. This is just a side note I want to say. Some of you are in a place, and you need to know this, you need to help others say yes to God's sending. You need to be about that, right? Like, as I was, as I was reflecting on Africa, I want to just say, thank you, mom and dad, for having the courage to say yes. And some of you need to be about that. Parents who are following Jesus, you need to understand, our goal is not to raise really good, safe, well-adapted kids. That's not the kingdom goal. The kingdom goal is to raise risky, epic, missional, kingdom, adventurous kids who are learning to say yes to Jesus, no matter what it takes. So when they come to you and they say, I think I'm called to this and I got to go after it, I want to challenge you and say your response should not necessarily be, well, how much money does that make? Your response should be, what's Jesus saying to you? I'm going to help you say yes to that. 
That's what this is. Help others say yes to God. Moms and dads, lean into that. Husbands, wives, help your spouse say yes to God. Friends, let your people say yes to God. See, as we close, I want you to hear this. God is still asking that same question that he asked Isaiah. Who will go for us? Whom shall I send? Jesus tells his disciples, look, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. How many of you know desperate people? You know lonely people? You know people without Christ in their life? We don't have to do much to look around and see the harvest. But God is asking the same question. Who should I send? Who should I send? And you have those responses. Here I am. I don't want to go. Here I am. Send someone else. Or here I am. Send me. So I'm inviting you to the dangerous prayers. Make me bold. Search me. Speak to me. Send me. It's faithfulness in the day-to-day beyond Sundays. Following Jesus beyond Sundays, that's the little things that turn into big things. I watched a movie, and I talked to a friend, and God sent me to Africa to hear that he was going to send me back to Buchanan. That's my story. And then he sent us to Michigan (laughs) to tell us to come back to Buchanan. What about you? What's God saying? Go to Ethiopia. Start giving faithfully. Start attending faithfully. Give 10%. Give more than 10%. Start serving with those two-year-olds. Friends, that is a mission field. Break that relationship that's not doing any good in your life. Recommit to that relationship that you've given up on. Here am I. Send me. I'm going to invite the band to come as we close. Let's pray together. Jesus, Jesus,